Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. My name is Kevin Ray. I'm your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. And we want to thank you for joining us in the Housing Hour today, uh, where we bring you the latest and greatest information about housing, about our communities um, nationwide. Uh, we just love doing what we do, and we're thankful for the opportunity to speak to you today. We hope you're having a great one. Um, and you know, Mark, we had uh, just not too long ago Dr. Peter Pry on the show, which was really an amazing sort of investigative um, look for us, for the beginners, of what EMP attacks are and, and what um, the country is doing uh, to help to um, protect our grid and also protect our infrastructure. And it, I mean, I spent literally hours on YouTube, Google, because it, it fascinated me all of the information that was out there that I didn't knew nothing about. Well, there's nothing like bringing the experts in to uh, unwrap all of this stuff because I don't know anything about it either. And our guest today is another expert. But that Dr. Peter Fry also, if you go to the website, and we had a lot of plays on that podcast mm -hmm. uh, when, when I put it up there. But also he wrote a book called Blackout Wars, which is fascinating. So mm -hmm. um, I suggest everybody going to the website, checking out that book, as well as our book today from our guest has a book out. Yeah. Absolutely. And so today we welcome in uh, Chuck, Chuck Monto, and he is the Chief Executive Officer of Instant Access Networks, and he's also a senior member uh, and, and helps with the InfraGuard National EMP. Um, basically, you had a committee, but first of all, let me just tell you, Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I'm glad to be here today. And the InfraGuard, and let's start just real quick with the basic what you do. You are one of the people in our country that has a passion for securing and protecting our infrastructure and you have really made it a lifelong goal to be involved with um, helping to educate the community but also to be that liaison between the private sector and our government in order to to get information out there plan and and build solutions that are practical and accepted by all. But could you tell me what the InfraGuard, beginning with that, what is that all about and how does that work? Sure. Uh, InfraGuard was formed in 1996 uh, by some folks along with the FBI in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, since then, it's grown to about 80 chapters around the country, wherever there's an FBI field office and a few other places besides. And, and what it is, it's a way that anyone involved in critical infrastructure, whether it's a power grid, communication system, healthcare, farming, everything in between, uh, can get together and discuss uh, vulnerabilities and shared concerns. Mm -hmm. uh, what makes it unique is that it's the only place uh, somebody without, say, a, you know, a secret clearance or something like that, or just a regular citizen, uh, can join. It costs nothing to join. You go to infraguard.org or .net, and it's spelled I-N-F-R-A, like infrastructure, mm -hmm. and then guard, G-A-R-D, because someone wanted to be clever and say, the only thing's missing is you. Right. So then you get to sign up, right? And Knoxville anyway, has a chapter, by the way. What's that? Knoxville has a chapter. Yes, yes. And, um, and so there's an opportunity to get like-minded people together from 
all walks of infrastructure life. And uh, when they join, they sign a non-disclosure agreement with the FBI so that if you get access to non-public information, that would be for official use only. You agree not to put it up on your website and reveal it to the public because you're being trusted with that. Mm -hmm. And they run FBI background checks on everybody, so it makes it possible for those in government and private sector who might not otherwise know each other to share information effectively and hold, whenever needed, uh, trusted conversations. Yeah, because one of the things that I was left after the interview with Dr. Pry is that this this is the hard work that you're doing because you mentioned in an address, I believe, in a seminar or a convention that you were um, attending and I think were hosting, you said, you know what, to quote you sort of, you said, this is, this is really hard to talk about sometimes because yes. this is a difficult topic. Nobody wants to talk about the power going out for maybe a year if we have a big solar storm or, God forbid, we have a terrorist attack. You know, people don't, you know, most people don't, A, want to talk about it, but B, don't want to know what the result would be if this did happen. They kind of want to bury their head in the sand and say, well, it's not going to happen to us. This is not going to happen. Or if it does happen, the government's going to come in a few days and, and save us, right? Yes, that's true. And um, so I have a phrase for that, and it's probably not the appropriate phrase to use, but you know, everybody understands post-traumatic stress syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so I call what you've talked about just now pre-traumatic stress syndrome. Mm. Is there a medication for that? <laughs> I, I think the only uh, medication is information, truth, and caring concern of other people who patiently will guide each other into not only looking at the issue, but very quickly mm. doing some triage on the problem so that you can come up with some hopeful solutions. Yeah. Uh, and in part, that's what the InfraGuard program is trying to do that we created in InfraGuard. We created this group called the Electromagnetic Pulse Special Interest Group. Okay. Special interest groups for InfraGuard are ways to focus on any kind of a problem set you had. And what we did is we wanted to look at any threat at all that could impact the country's infrastructure nationwide for a month or longer. So the poster child of that is EMP. But it's also space weather, you know, natural occurring space weather. Um, it could be a cyber attack, a coordinated physical attack, might even be pandemics or some combination of things. So, uh, and the reason we focus on that is that when you look at a problem that's widespread for a month or longer, it's qualitatively different. Mm -hmm. Instead of even a small regional problem like the Hurricane Katrina where the rest of the country can come to your aid, if the rest of the country is tied up with their own problems, what are you going to do to help yourself and your neighbor? Right. And I think in our culture, and you mentioned this a while ago, that people have been used to this message saying, have a few days of food and water and everything will be fine. I think there's a, pre a preparedness message that needs to change to line up with reality and people's uh, personas or personalities. And, mm -hmm. and what I'd like to do is mention it in, in this one simple way. Um, since the demise of the civil defense program in the 60s, we basically told the American public, you're great people, and we got great people who love you and love their country and are working for you, and nothing in the universe can touch you where we can't rescue you by day four. Mm -hmm, so have three right. days of food and water, and you won't be too uncomfortable. But we'll get you by day four. So don't panic. Just take care of yourself. And that's a nice message. 
it's a useful message because everybody ought to have at least three days of food and water. Right. But what I tell people is that if that's all you say, you wound up undermining your own preparedness message. Right. And you mentioned... And re- I'm go sorry. Ahead. Go No, go ahead. No, you, you, go ahead. Because I... You go first now. Okay. Because like, I don't want to talk too long. I'm, I'm You're fine. You're doing fine. <laughs> I appreciate you um, very much. I was listening to something you said, and this may have been where you were going with this, but, you know, meteorologists, you know, and, and people who monitor hurricanes, I mean, you know a couple of weeks in advance that one is brewing and you see it coming. And guess what? People don't want to have to deal with it, but on the coast or if it's in, if you're in the track, I mean, you know, people start to prepare. Whether they want to or not, they prepare. And I think you mentioned so eloquently, you said, guess what, guys? The storm is coming. We need to prepare. It's, we don't have, you know, meteorologists that we can see it on a map and say, oh, it's going to come in this time period. You know, but we have to change our, our mindset. And I think that's what you're saying. Yes, and I think it's really important that people understand we're in a different point in history, in in the history of mankind, if you think of it this way. Never before have we been so technologically advanced, but so absolutely dependent on our technology infrastructure, for the most part, that's way over-centralized in any area, whether it's power, communications, food, Um, and if and if we were to go through a collapse of our centralized infrastructure, we don't have the local resilience we used to have. And so the goal of this information sharing is not only to discover ways to harden our very important critical centralized infrastructures like power grids, and there's things that we can do that don't cost a whole lot to do that. At the same time, we need to have a very concerted effort for every homeowner, every community, every hospital, every 911 center, every, you know, uh, every church and synagogue. Everyone's got to think through, how do I make 20 to 30 percent of whatever it is I need locally? Mm-hmm. So that if the centralized systems were to fail, I could still make it help my neighbor. It's- um, and we've not done that in the past. We've not needed to because, in, and I'll just say this one little thing by just uh, to point out the, the difference of our life versus our grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, we have maximized efficiency by minimizing resiliency. Mm-hmm. And that's oh, what put us in this precarious position where all our eggs are in these giant technology baskets. And, um, and it makes it easy for us to fall apart when something happens with Mother Nature. It makes it easy for a bad guy to look at just a handful of key targets. On the other hand, make 100,000 key targets, and, you know, the most robust bad guy army, he can't get you very easily. Right. But uh, if you got all your eggs in one basket, it's, yeah, anybody can, can upset that basket. And, and this is a perfect example of what you're talking about, because if, if the 1859, I believe, Carrington event, which was a solar superstorm, is a class superstorm, a Carrington class, they call it, I suppose, had that happened today, and I've, I've heard this wide uh, spread that people feel this way, that it would basically shut our country down in the Northeast for up to a year, maybe longer. I mean, it would be a cataclysmic event. 1859, it was not a cataclysmic event. It did do a lot of damage that, that is noteworthy. But because, like you mentioned, of our dependence upon technology and it being centralized, I mean, it would, it would really change things for us. Yes. 
And, and the problem we have is when we have the old message, which says don't worry about anything more than four days, most people will say, first of all, I don't have to eat for a few days. I could use a diet. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll have some water or something like that. But I'm not going to die in four days of food. Right. And so, you know, if all you do is look for the little things, when you're really hard-pressed for time and money, you're not going to waste your time putting the effort there. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at the scenarios that say, if there, for example, if there are four or five, six scenarios where in any decade it could, there's a 10% likelihood of it happening, and you put them all on the table together, and suddenly you realize that in the next 10, 20, 30 years, you've got a 50-50 chance that one of these major events are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Then you need to take seriously the need to be far more prepared instead of having four days, you know, being rescued in four days. It might be 44 days or 400 days. And mm-hmm. what are you going to do in that situation? And, um, and, and, and Chuck, I was just going to jump in and say that this isn't just something that a bunch of chicken littles are running around screaming about. The government is recognizing exactly what you're saying and the time frame that you're speaking about. Isn't mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah. It is correct, but in the past, you have to realize that um, when the people in the know knew this in the past, their attitude was, we can't get too many people upset about it. Right. It's bad for elections, wow. and it's bad for the economy. And that, so yeah. don't talk about it. Yeah, uh, the pe- I was going to say, we're running out of time in this segment. Let's remember what you just said, and we'll pick right back up right there. And I think you hit the nail on the head, and I do want to get more into that. It's become such a political firestorm for people to even bring up these type of subjects because it's not good for votes. You know, people say, well, you're just scaring people. Well, the fact is you can't wait until you're, you know, in your sixth year of your presidency to start, you know, talking about these things because you don't have another election. It's just a bunch of wasted time. And senators and congressmen, they're thinking about two years and you know, they're, they're just not in that same mindset. Well, we're enjoying to ha- having Chuck with us here, Chuck Monto, with us online, talking about our infrastructure and how we protect it. Come back right after these messages and join us. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. There are stars in the southern sky. Welcome back into the housing hour. This is Kevin that Ray. That was very good, that Kevin. Was beautiful. By the way. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right. It was. It was really a nice little melody there. Um, thank you guys for joining us again here on the housing hour, and we're tackling some important subject matter here today. So, um, you know, and it is an important subject matter. We have Chuck Monta on the line with us. Chuck, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you. That wasn't you guys singing, was it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't actually, even though I do sing sometimes. Um, but this, you know, you mentioned in the first segment about how difficult this subject matter is and, and how our mindset needs to change. And before we got offline, I kind of interrupted you, but um, can you want to fin- finish that thought real quick? 
Well, I think that, and maybe the transition is that uh, in the last few months has been the first time in decades that official publicly oriented proclamations and calls for help have gone out from the federal government to address this. It's, it's, it's actually a, a tectonic shift in mm-hmm. attitudes of the federal government. And, uh, and I'll give you an example of one which is, and, and people can Google this on their own, look up National Space Weather Strategy and Action Plan. Mm-hmm. And if they were to go to, you know, like, Amazon.com and look up high-impact threats, they'd see the triple threat power grid exercise book that we put together at InfraGuard, uh, vetted by top experts in all the fields. And in that book, uh, on the back cover, you'll see uh, a quote from the Space Weather Strategy. Uh, the book, by the way, covers the triple threat, of either EMP, space weather, or, or a cyber attack, which could result in a one, three, or 12-month nationwide power outage. And it gives you the ability to take this material that has some bibliographic material and so on and walk through what you would do to test your disaster plan in your organization, in your company, in your community, and so on. But in the back cover, which you can actually peek and read it for free when you go to Amazon, when you go, go look at it, uh, you'll see a quote from their second um, uh, goal of the White House strategy. And it says that uh, the whole of the community, in other words, not just all of government, state, federal, local, but um, even people who are non-governmental entities, you know, folks in the local community, are encouraged to create an all-hazard power outage response and recovery plan for extreme weather events. Um, excuse me, extreme space weather events, and the long-term loss of electric power and cascading effects on other critical infrastructure sectors. And I was re-quoting it directly. Mm-hmm. And here's what's really interesting. Right next to it, it says, other low-frequency, high-impact events are also capable of causing long-term power outages on a regional or national scale. They were thinking EMP and cyber, but primarily EMP when they wrote that. Um, and it says, the next bullet, is that the plan must include the whole community, enable the prioritization of core capabilities. And then the last one says, develop and conduct exercises to improve and test federal, state, regional, local, and industry-related space weather response and recovery plans. Recovery plans. Exercising plans and capturing lessons learned, you know, engages and enables ongoing improvement in event response and recovery capabilities. Mm-hmm. So these are direct quotes. And in that book, what is, if you're interested in EMP, uh, a month after this came out, this last um, uh, uh, spring, and they basically came out with the finalized version of the space weather strategy this past October and announced the action plan which will be something multiple federal agencies will be asked to do in the coming months, and you should be watching for that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, which is a subset of the Defense Department that looks at nuclear effects like EMP and other kinds of weapons of mass destruction issues, they came out with a request for every inventor in America through the Small Business Administration to look at the problem of drive-by EMP. Mm. This is a sort of a, a, a layman's way of saying it. There, you could have high-powered microwaves and other kinds of weapons that have been improved lately right. so that inside a panel van, somebody could, could zap the, the, the controls and the equipment of, say, power grids uh, from outside the fence line. 
Wasn't there one of those type of attacks in Ukraine and uh, not too long ago? Just recently, there was a uh, cyber attack on Ukraine. Oh, so there was not a there. That wasn't okay. Yeah, but right, it's a very attack. similar kind of a problem. They're just and now in Ukraine, other things have happened. Uh, you know, the Russians flew a jet uh, with EMP equipment and knocked out the electronics equipment of one of our ships outside the Crimea mm. and totally disabled it, showing it could have landed a missile on deck and there was nothing they could do about it. So mm. there's a there's a sort of a mini arms race in electromagnetic weaponry which is saying to folks that in addition to high-altitude nuclear CMP, which is sinister because it can impact the entire continent or region at one fell swoop, you know, in picoseconds. Uh, can I, can I can, interject something here? Please. Because yeah. I think my listeners might be thinking, you know, how do we prevent this? And I think that you have taken on the task with your with your um, chairmanship of, of this InfraGuard committee on triaging EMP. But one of the big things that I think it's two-pronged, number one, and correct me if I'm wrong, as a community, you mentioned that churches, synagogues, whoever, communities need to prepare. And, and what does that mean? Well, the report, the action plan can help to help you design a plan. But secondly, our government needs to get off of its um, you-know-what and put into place like the task force that Dr. Pry was on, the task force on national and homeland security. We know that there's ways to protect the grid that would be very cost effective to harden the infrastructure, to change the switches out that they need to change out. There's there's also backup generators. There's many things. I mean, the cost was negligible compared to what the outcome and the problem is. But for some reason, we can't get these laws passed we cannot get what was that one that he spoke of and i can't remember you might know it um it was a law that we just can't seem to get through congress it passed the house the shield act the shield act you know why can't we get those things passed that's the bigger issue in my mind yes the community needs to prepare for months if not years of having no power but we also need to have the other side of it which is what you're trying also to do right yeah, so I think, you know, I think uh, uh, there's, when you focus on the grid, there's two things, but I want to answer your question, why haven't we done it? Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, there are things we can do to harden the large grids, both at the transformer level, at the generator level, all very, very important things to do, relatively cost-efficient, um, and that you also, in most cases, don't have to protect everything. You have to protect your most critical assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... What we also need to do is create EMP-protected microgrids that local communities can, can have okay. and local institutions and companies can all have. For example, every hospital ought to be able to make 20 to 30 percent of its own power on-site or near-site and not be shut down just because we have a major power loss that mm-hmm. goes for months. Uh, today, the disaster plan for hospitals is to abandon ship. But, you know, it's fine if you're the only hospital, you know, shutting its doors. But what happened if the next 50 hospitals have to shut their doors? Right. You know, we have to rethink how we we organize ourselves. But here's the core problem. One minute left in this segment, but go ahead. Ah, okay. Um, I would love to have another time to talk with you about technical approaches. And I I work on that in my company, so I'm very familiar and I've done that. Um, But the main thing is, is this, is that if you think that there's nothing you can do, Mm-hmm. and it's hopeless, you won't do anything. <laughs> That's right. That's and, right. And if, and if it's only something a few people in Washington can do, nobody's going to care. That's right. Because you're not those people in Washington. Yep. But if you realize that every local community can do something to make EMP-protected local infrastructure of their own, 
-hmm. you can take action yourselves while the government's trying to figure out what they need. That's very critical right there. And not wait for the rest of the country to get their act together. Start where you are. And then when other people see you doing it, they're going to say, how are you doing it? And you ask each other for help and you begin where you are. And then you'll have a ripple effect that will be impossible to stop nationwide. We have one more segment with you. So let's talk more about that. That's an important part of it. And we're going to continue this conversation with Chuck Monto right after these messages right here on the Housing Hour. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. It's Kevin Ray, your host, with Mark Griffith, our extraordinary executive producer and co-host. Just came back from Costa Rica. It was fun, huh? Beautiful. Hey, if the power went out, Costa Rica will be fine. <laughs> I'm just telling you Not right at now. the resort I was staying at, well, man. We, we, but yeah, most of the indigenous people, I don't even know if that's the right term. And that's what's kind of sad to me is that like people who do live without power in Africa and other places that are remote in this world, they certainly would be affected by it in some way. But if you're out and you're in a tribe out in the middle of remote Africa, you, you, what do you, I mean, you know, well, your, your iPod's not going to work. I mean, they're not using that stuff. They've, they've used the earth to kind of live and, and they wouldn't be affected by it. I mean, they would be affected by it, but I'm just saying it's, it's really to that point. Um, and when we were leaving, uh, Chuck, we have Chuck with us. And before I um, get back into our conversation, I want to tell people they can go to thehousinghour.com. And that is where our treasure trove of information is. You can share this show. You can learn about uh, Chuck, more about him, his website, his book that he has. Um, we'd love for you guys to go interact with us there. We're on Twitter at The Housing Hour. Uh, Mark's on Pinterest. So you can find all that stuff at thehousinghour.com. But I wanted to let you know that that's how you interact with us, folks. If you need to, to contact us about any show that you might want to hear or you have comments, we'd love for you to interact with us. But, Chuck, you were talking when we went from break about – um, and I think it's so true. You know, I'm, 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 I was sitting here complaining about not getting the SHIELD Act passed, but what have I done? Have I called my congressman? Have I called my senator? I mean, there's things that w- have I, you know, talked to my HOA about setting up a preventative plan. I mean, there's things that we can do. And it's that old a- adage, you know, you can complain about anything and people do whine and complain. And I fall into that boat all the time. But the fact is, we need to be problem solvers and solution oriented in that mindset. And that's kind of what I hear your message being. Yes. I mean, even, uh, you know, uh, the most recent book Ted Koppel wrote called Lights Out and has a section uh, talking about what people can do to be more prepared for any kind of an emergency. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the goodness about being more resilient as a local community is that regardless of the problem that may arise, it's most likely to be something you won't really expect. Uh, if you're ready for a year-long disruption of centralized systems and can handle it, um, you're going to be in a great shape to handle anything that comes your way. Right. Uh, and you'll be able to help your neighbors. Um, we just can't have the attitude that says, I don't have to do anything, somebody else will come rescue me. And mm-hmm. what you'll find is that you know sometimes people will criticize the far left as creating dependency attitudes and a welfare mentality. But in reality... 
you know, most every Republican and Democrat, most every institution in America has fallen into that kind of mentality where I don't have to do it. Somebody else is going to take care of Right. And we've become far too dependent and not independent enough. And, and it does take a mindset and a willingness to engage with other people. You can't do this really well alone. It's not enough to be a lone ranger. You got to find other people who could help you work through these things and make friends with neighbors. Do something with your church. Figure out how to make your church or your hospital or your fire hall far more resilient and and, and, and get the help you need because you're not going to be able to do it all on your own. You can take steps. Like everybody can have a 50-pound bag of rice at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the start. Uh, it doesn't cost you much to do that and put it in a nice plastic container so the mice don't eat through it or something like that. Everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. But um, And we can talk about some other things you can do practically at the local level, and we can talk about that in, in a second if you like. Okay, Mark? Well, one of the things I was going to say, I mean, the what – the possibility of occurring on on one of these global or at least national um, power outages is the consequence to humanity. I mean, I don't I don't know. Speak to that, Chuck, as well. What would happen if this happened? How much of the population would perish as a result of this? I think we need that slap across the face. Well, you know, it depends on what happens. But you look, ask yourself, what's the carrying power of the country? Um, back in the late 1800s, and how many millions of people would it support? Um, if we were to lose our just-in-time infrastructure, uh, how long would society be able to last? And, and people will come up with ranges, 20% to 80% of the loss of life, some people even more. Um, and, uh, and certain parts of the population will suffer quicker than others. Uh, because of the fragility and living paycheck to paycheck and, uh, and so on in so many different ways. So it could be devastating. And, and uh, so you have to take it seriously. And wherever you peg that disaster to be in the worst case scenario, we need to start now with a sense of hope. There is something we can do about it. We can start today. Well, I think there's two. There's a mindset shift. You mentioned it, and it's been the theme of our conversation today about people not overreacting to someone telling them that they need to be prepared because preparation is essential and the storm is coming. Those messages need to somehow um, sink in with our our daily living because yeah. you just mentioned 20% potential. If we had a, you know... To 80. T- yeah. T- 2012 or 2013, there was a... There was a Carrington class solar storm that we just missed by a few days, right? I mean, if that had had just hit us, and I mean, I did not, I didn't even know about that till Dr. Peter Pry came on, right. and you mentioned it in a radio interview that I listened to um, a couple of days ago. I mean, we have to understand that there's a ten percent chance per decade that this is going to happen, which means that in our lifetime, there's a fifty-fifty chance. You mentioned that earlier in this show. You know, we're not talking about. You know, hey, there may be something. There's a very good possibility of something like this happening. And, you know, because we're, I, I wasn't even going to go into this topic because it is a little scary. But if something like that were to happen and we were where we are right now, and if the Northeast were shut down for a year, guess what, folks? That's a cataclysmic event. There would be severe upheaval. There would be civil dis, I mean, there would be unrest throughout the whole world. And it would be very, very difficult. Have you ever seen the movie I Am Legend? Oh, yeah. It, 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 that's kind of the kind of stuff that would be happening in my mind. Um, it would just be terrible, you know? And so that's frightening to think about. But and, it's not, and it's not far-fetched. It's Chuck, not far-fetched. I mean, fetched, this is re- reality. Isn't the government looking at that? 
Well, you know, I think um, the first thing that's significant is the government is saying to us, it's not enough that the government must look at this, federal, state, local, but everyone must look at this. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really different. This is a whole of community thing. It's not close your mind, stop thinking, let someone think for you. Everybody right. needs to think about this, number one. Number two, um, even though this is where we're going at the show, but you think about what happens if society's infrastructure does collapse. Then the other problem we have is, will our relationships with each other and our community also collapse? You know, we live in a very isolated, mobile world. I mean, just look at our divorce rates. All, you know, many of us have gone through that. Um, what happens when the infrastructure collapses? Will we have the kind of relationships where we can turn to each other and help each other weather the storm, yeah. or will we, will we not? So it's and con- I'm concerned about that as well. It's kind of like looking at your neighbor. Instead of looking at him for food, we look at him as food. Right. So it has a whole new meaning of who are we having over for dinner, right? Um, <laughs> so, uh, but black humor aside... Right. Um, uh, there are some things we can do, and, and, and you could focus on a few things, one on the MP side, one on the preparedness side. Um, and one of the things is, is just start by caring. You know, right. when we look at a hospital, we should go to our hospitals in our local community and say, you know, we love you guys. Hospitals are having a hard time. They're closing left and right. Uh, we need you. So we in our community, we will take our resources. We'll figure out how to do this. And we'll, we'll build the power plant for you next door that gives you 20 to 30 percent of your power indefinitely when there is no diesel fuel coming uh, because we love you and we're going to take care of you. And it's not going to be up to you to figure it out. We're going to help you. We're going to embrace you. And we need to do that with every community entity. We need to learn how to become, uh, you know, how to uh, make 20 to 30 percent of our own power. How do we store it locally? Uh, how do we do energy saving things and technology so the need for electricity goes down a third so when i make 20 percent or so of my electricity now i'm getting close to a half of what i need mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things we can do um the whole idea of having food and water stored away is not that inexpensive to do there's multiple ways to do that but let's talk about emp just for a moment okay. too. If want. Is, is this a good time to segue into that sure absolutely okay so first of all when you read these books we talked about and the InfraGuard books, we have multiple uh, bibliography that are there that will give you resources. And there are military standards, like the MilSpec 188.125 uh, for either fixed or transportable facilities. These are open source documents where you can learn this stuff and know the objective measures when folks in the military have learned, you know, you've achieved the right amount of protection. Uh, there's also ways of doing what they call nesting techniques. So if you aren't getting the, the mil-spec requirement, there are still ways to get some EMP protection, and you can build on that. Uh, but I'll just go and just mention something really simple. And example, really only have one minute, so, so okay. go ahead. Okay, so EMP gets you through the air, and the electromagnetic fields also go on wires. Mm-hmm. So when you're not using your computer and your electronics at home, unplug it. You'll not only save money, but when an EMP event happens, the EMP will try to get your stuff through the air and through the wires, but if it's disconnected from the wires, that part isn't going to get you. You've just increased your odds. Mm-hmm. That's a free tip. Cost you nothing to do. 
and you're going to save electricity. Unplug your TV, unplug your computers when you're not using them. You'll save a little electricity. And the off chance there's a surge or an EMP, you're that much more likely to be okay. But we'll have to reach around stuff. the TV, though, and unplug it. Bring That's it right. <laughs> you move. You got to figure out how to move that plug I know. Uh, or that uh, UPS you're using in a more accessible position. We have That's one last segment. We have one last segment with Chuck Monte, and it's only a short segment, but we're going to wrap things up with him. We sure have appreciated his expertise. So join us right after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. And I'll praise you in this storm and I will lift my hands for you are who Welcome back into the housing hour. And you know what? God does give and God does take away. It doesn't matter what happens in our lives. It's going to be a a moment, whether that be through an EMP attack or whether that be through a trial or tribulation. There are going to be situations in our lives where we have to have relationships and we have to um, want to reach out and help people. And, And Chuck, you really spoke to that. You know, there is going to be that moment where we have to we have to put down our phones. We have to put down our devices. We have to put down all the things that we are dependent on today and, and go across to our neighbor and say, hey, you know what? Come on over. I've got some extra food that you might be able to be um, nourished by. You know, Mark was talking about how her, his sister in Texas had went through a hurricane, had a backup generator. People were trying to break into her house, you know, because she it had, was It was happening to other homes in the, in the uh, area. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were after the ice. Right. So, uh, so the, things got testy. That's right. And so there's these things that we have to be prepared for. But I don't want to take any more time because there's about three minutes left in the show. And I want you to just kind of give us a conclusion on what we can do, what you're doing, and give us the, the big clothes that we need. Wow. Uh, <laughs> great opportunity. Thank you so much. There's so much to say. Um, so for starters, people can hunt me down and look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, we can be in contact, you know, through email. But uh, I'd encourage people to get a hold of their local InfraGuard chapter and see what kind of information they can get from the Electromagnetic Pulse Special Interest Group. Uh, it's definitely a, a neutral turf, regardless of your, you know, political or business position. Uh, you know, you'd all be welcome there uh, and work through this in a, in a very trusted environment. Um, in terms of um, uh, the book I mentioned, the Power Grid Exercise book, the Triple Threat Power Grid Exercise book, there's a few pages of introduction that will be helpful to you, uh, plus bibliography there that will give you an overview of the history of this problem um, and some of the problems that are um, uh, being faced by you know, this association of uh, Americans who are vetted uh, by the FBI and want to work together to, to solve some of these problems. Um, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency uh, call for action is also interesting uh, because it's not only asking for the whole of community to look at um, military bases and what do we do to preserve them, but the infrastructure the bases need themselves. Like they need the water utility and the sewer utility and the hospital and the farmers and everyone like that. We've got to think through uh, a, a more uh, coordinated way of, of, of looking at this. And I would welcome your, your folks that, you know, who have faith-based uh, relationships to really rethink those and, and readdress. How do we love each other when it's hard? 
Um, and and it's hard now because we're not even willing to face the problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how how much are we willing to love each other now to take the time to learn about it, to set aside some money and be, and, and be better prepared and have greater outreach to the people around us and get other people to join us? It's not an easy thing to do. It's part of that pre-traumatic stress syndrome we need to, to work through. Yeah, but I, I don't want to keep talking because you only have probably less than a minute left. And you may have a question you might want to ask at some point. Well, no, I think you nailed it, and I think that part of what Mark and I and Mortgage Investors Group, what we've chosen to do is to try to have a platform where we educate and, and provide the community with information. Information is so powerful, and it's the antidote really to this pre-stress disorder that we speak of because information is power, but you have to take action, and it's not just the information. Information is nothing if, if it's not used in a, an action-oriented way. So what you've provided us is very critical because you've provided us a glance into the mind of the, that community that you come from, and it's it's an important piece, an important facet of this whole thing because many people think they know, but they don't. And so I think that the call to arms for us is, number one, reach out to InfraGuard. Maybe join the East Tennessee chapter if you want to get more involved. I guarantee you they're doing good work, and Mark and I are going to reach out to them. And so thank you so much for spending the time with us. We certainly appreciate all that you provided us today, and we want to have you back. Well, I look forward to doing that, and uh, have a great week. And uh, if you don't have any snow to have fun and play with, you can come out where we are at the bar. <laughs> we that's are right. very neighborly out here. I know that's right. Well, thanks again, Chuck Monto. We appreciate you, and we appreciate all of our listeners right here on the Housing Hour. See you next week. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know. So come here to find out. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.